Father's house, how you guys doing? Oh, it's so good to see you. While we're getting ourselves ready, why don't you just meet the person next to you, just high five them, tell them they smell great. Keep using that cologne, whatever that is. So awesome that you are here. We want to welcome our Greece campus with us. We want to welcome Life Center. We want to welcome um, at our Monroe County Jail. Uh, we are test driving the new equipment for our campus there. Um, we're excited. We got to hear of uh, Orleans and Albion as two possible campuses. It's going to be opening one of those in the next four weeks, so keep praying. Let's put our hands together to welcome those who are joining us online from New York, New Jersey, Florida, Tennessee, South Carolina, New Hampshire, and the list goes on. Come on. So good to see you guys. If this is your first time here at the Father's house, um, I am so thankful that you are here. Thank you for coming out and uh, being part of um, just what we love to do and who we love to worship. And my name is Pierre, and I'm going to be spending the next 30 minutes with you. If I do 32 minutes, um, don't kill me. If I go 40, run me over. That's all I'm saying. I'm going to do my best to communicate to you what is on my heart. And I believe the topic is going to be very relevant to our lives here today. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, you are good. You are really, 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 really good. And I thank you that from every wind direction we have come, we have gathered. Some are here pretty excited about what's going on. Others skeptical. Others are seeking. Others are finding. Others are drifting. Thank you that none of those things disturb your love for us. You're a God that loves us so deep that you are slow to anger, rich in love, and your mercy triumphs over judgment. I pray today that we will experience your magnificent love and the truth of your word that helps us guide a complicated culture and life we are living. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your ongoing present where everybody is hearing my voice here today. We honor you and love you in Jesus' beautiful name. And everybody shouts, Amen. Can we thank our worship teams and our campuses for their ongoing support and their ongoing great way that they just lead us. And I've got two, two guys going to help me out here today. Um, if they want to come up on stage behind me, that's going to be amazing. And we're starting a, a, a new series but as you know, here at the Father's House, as we are starting a next ministry series and a next season, our desire is that we as a community will know God and we will find personal freedom in our journey in knowing God and discover our purpose and make a difference because at the Father's House, we believe that living the expression of what we believe is most potent in community when we are in close relationship with other people. And we do that through multiple avenues of groups and through serving. And my desire is that in this next ministry season, that for those of you who have not experienced being in community and serving, that you will experience those potent expressions that accelerates the work of God in our lives. But today, we're going to be talking about comparison. Now, you and I know 
that comparison is an interesting thing, and the series is called Beyond Comparison for the next three weeks. And, and you know that comparison is a tension that we all live with. Now, I've asked these two guys to help me, and I said to them, if this thing snaps, I hold no responsibility at all. Um, because we purchased it and never used it in our gym, um, so I don't know how that works even. It just looks great where it hangs in my gym. Um, but, but interesting enough, uh, attention um, can never fully, you can never fully say, oh, I'm balancing the tensions because the poles always shifts. In other ways, what I'm trying to say is you never get it right. You always just got to navigate the poles and the tension in the moment. What do I mean by that? You see, social tension and tension as a whole has got two different opposite poles, yet they are similar. And I don't think any one of us can escape it really unless we become a castaway on a remote island where there are only iguanas and fish and no other people and we have no cell phones and cannot see the rest of the world. Um, that, that is the only way I think we can remotely escape. But even when we go to the island, um, we take one of those poles with us because it lives on the inside of us. You go like, that's confusing. What do you mean? Well, I'm going to start with Dan and, and talk about him as the very DNA construct of every human being in this place. There is not a single person that doesn't carry this on the inside of you because it is part of being human. Now, there is this uh, psychologist in 1954, that's many years ago, Leon Fresner, I think his name is. He, he, he stated this way, that you and I compare ourselves to others to evaluate ourselves. He says, and as human being on the lowest level of our existence, we all make snap judgments about other people instinctively, very quickly, and it goes through the filter of our own personal biases that we can't even explain. Now, I know for some of you go like, what the heck did you just say? I'm going to explain to you. Um, when you go to Wegmans, and for those who are joining us online, Wegmans is where we shop for groceries and produce. How many people go to the apple section and you love green apples. Can I get a yes from you? Yeah. See, I love you. Because we look at the green apples and we go like, apple grannies, granny greens, what are they called? Well, I love you. You look at the red apples and you go like, I, why do they even make you? And you have no idea why don't you, you don't like you, great apples, it's a bias, it's a leaning, it's a personal preference. And, and as you came in the church, and especially if this is your first or second time, in a way you are sizing people up. Some of you are hearing me for the first time, you are sizing me up, that's why I'm standing. I'm taller than you think. You're sizing me up, you, you're trying to work out, is he safe, is he truthful, is he honest? And, and the reason why you are sizing people up, what Fresno is saying is at the network of our, there's a beautiful word, I've got to get it, at our evolutionary network, it's built into us to assess so that we can protect ourselves against threats instinctively you go like this is not a safe person instinctively you make prejudgments in other in other words you and i are wired to make quick judgments gut reactions of what we think about people 
Now do me a favor, turn to the person next to you and say, I feel safe with you. It's okay. Okay, come on, just tell them, I, I feel safe. I know you, you're a creep, but I feel safe. I'm just going to, just for today, because they have security with tasers in this place. So, so I feel safe. Now, now what is interesting in that whole scenario of what I just said, that there is another side, a another side of this whole thing. You, we've got this internal thing on the inside of us that we cannot run from. And a, a, a people's personal favorite is to sit on a park bench and watch other people and judge them in your head. You go like, psh, you're such a creep. Oh, psh, I know you're having an affair on this side. Oh, psh, you can't keep a job. You just do these stupid things that's on the inside of us. Come on, don't look at me that way. I know you do that. But there is this other side, what they call our social comparisons that we make. Now, now, Psychology Today has got an article that I read on social comparisons, and they say this, that all of us as human beings, uh, we evaluate ourselves, our personal worth and social worth, by measuring ourselves against other people, some of them who we think do better than us, and some who we think are worse than us. In other words, we always know people who are faster and slower, and within that we find our personal and social worth. Now what is interesting for those of you, they, they use this term, uh, as we age. Now they didn't say what age that is. They say as we age, it's interesting, we shift from making assessments or using other people as our yardstick. In other words, you don't go online and go like, oh, they faster, they slower. As you age, you use what you remember about you at peak performance as your yardstick to find your own worth. Now, a perfect personal, or not personal, a perfect example of that is Uncle Rico in Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> if you've not seen the movie, you should. It will culturally change you forever. I love that movie. I can watch it a million times. I, I'm so shallow, aren't I? Uncle Rico. Now, now what, whenever you hear somebody says, I remember when I. Oh, you have no idea when I. Oh, when I was playing football, I. And that is exactly, you know, you've just become of age where you are measuring you against what you remember about you. And I'm going to help you. We are never as good as we think we remember ourselves to be. Come on, high-five somebody and say, just get over it, man. Just get over it. But, but this, the second pole of social comparison um, is interesting because it depends on this thing called other people. Come on, shout other people. If you don't know about other people, this tension cannot exist because, you see, uh, many years ago, other people were a very small amount of people. I know this is hard for uh, some of the millennials and Gen Xers to understand, but once upon a time, there was no internet, zero. There was dial-up. It was this wicked sounds like you're killing a pig. There was no pictures. There was just like data and people who don't read. You're wasting your time on the internet. And it was just crazy. And when you say, I have friends, you know what it means? It's people you can actually touch. Can you believe it? So when somebody says, how many friends do you have? You go like seven. And family. 
because your friendship was people you can touch and you had very limited insight into their life because social comparison depends on how much you know about people's status, education, and what they drive, what they wear, how thin they are, and everything around that, the things we compare all the time, you see, because every family back then had one camera. I'm going to show you a picture of that. Do you remember one of those puppies? Come on now. Come on now. Yeah, showing your age. Anybody that one of those flashes, one, one, you take one picture, you've got to toss the flash and get another one. This is how Kodak built Rochester with flashes. And, and the pictures were amazing. Look. <laughs> it's incredible. Washed out, bleached color, and there were no zoom. And you go like, what is that? Who is that? If you are jealous at that picture, you've got bigger problems than what we're discussing. Right now, there was nothing to hate. And somehow there was a moral code that didn't allow for people to take pictures. Um, pictures were modest. The only person you could hate on was the woman in front of you in the church that had a tight dress on a number three dress, and clearly she was unsaved. That's why it's so tight. And, and, and you're just like, honey, keep your eye on Jesus. That's all. That's, there was nothing else to see. So the tension that you navigated during these years were very mild. They go like it was really annoying. It was not ep epidemic. But then things changed on us, ladies and gentlemen. June 29, 2007. Anybody knows that date? That's the date the first iPhone came out. Oh, I have one of those puppies in my safe. I'm going to sell that thing when I'm 127 years old to make $4 billion selling that thing at Christie's. But you know what happened? All of a sudden, now you don't have a Kodak camera. Everybody is walking around with the ability to take pictures instantly and post them onto social network instantly. All of a sudden, you have like 750 friends. You can't touch any of them, but they're your friends. And, and now you have unlimited insight into other people's lives. Justin Bieber's your friend. You know what he's eating. You know what socks he's wearing. You know what he's driving. And the more you look at him, the more you hate your life because all of a sudden we are living in this world where this tension over here. Oh, stay dead. Pull it, guys. I, I don't feel the ping. Over here, the tension has now become epidemic and unbearable. And, and what is so interesting, I want to show you some statistics of Facebook and Instagram. Check it out. Um, look, look at this. Uh, on Facebook, 300 million pictures are uploaded daily. Can, can, I, can I say something? It's like, don't you have a life? Right? right. Look at this. Uh, Instagram, 95 million pictures are uploaded loaded daily, 250 million stories are posted daily, uh, videos watched daily on Instagrams, 8 billion videos watched daily. Can, can I give you something else? In, in 2012, people spend on average 90 minutes a day gawking other people's lives. You know what the statistic is right now? 153 minutes to, 
Today, on average, people sit on their phones and they are observing other people's existence and they're creating this awful tension. You know what that means? It's 18 hours of your week. You know what that is? A year. It's 38 days solid that we are looking at other people's lives and what scientists are saying to us that there is a new disease called obsessive comparison disorder. There's not really one, I just made that up. Compa <laughs> obsessive comparison disorder. It is insane. You, you know what that means? That researchers point out that we are painting a heavily skewed picture of our social universe because what people are posting are the carefully edited highlight reels of their lives. People are not posting the messiness. They don't post the mascara running down your back and, and looking old and your house is a mess. No, um, we, we are putting the highlight reels and, and we are looking at our own reflections are measured against somebody else's projection of what they want you to believe. Listen, and tech companies use algorithms to keep in front of you all the things that get your attention, and this narrow, distorted slice of reality is creating a lot of social and emotional discord and brokenness in people. Let me show you a picture, and by the way, I don't want you to think that I'm saying we're going to become Amish, move to Ohio, burn our phones. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I think God has a way for us to still be engaged in real life, but be a life-giving presence. Now, look at this young girl. Now, when you look at, keep that picture up for me. If you look at that young girl and I say to you, I want you to write a a comment, not a comment, what do you call it, Dan, next to the Instagram picture, uh, what is that, caption, caption, see, I know what I'm talking about, you, you write a caption, what caption will you write for that girl, uh, what, what would your hashtag be, um, exotic garden, on a, in an Asian island, of forever forgetfulness and happiness, hashtag, uh, living out your best years, perfect moment, and you look at that and go like, oh, that is so perfect. It's a, it is this unscathed world. Look where she can vacation. But if you go to the next picture, you see where this was taken. <laughs> and you go like, ah, yeah, that's on the back streets of where? <laughs> Tawan Wanda on the side of town where you don't walk at night, she's sitting in a bunch of poison ivy right there. <laughs> and you go like, have your life, girlfriend. I don't want this, but that's not what you saw. Go back to the picture. You looked at this and you go like, she looks so happy. Her life is so beautiful. You go out of yours, you go like, I hate Rochester. <laughs> What am I saying? You see, I believe with all of my heart that we measure ourselves by looking at the er of someone else's life. You go like, er what? The better, the thinner, the wiser. See, I'm rolling my R's after 20 years. 
I mean, you, you, you look at the happier, they look richer, he's faster, she's thinner, and you get ticked off by the err of other people, and you go home, and you look at your spouse, and you go like, they've lost their err. <laughs> My kids don't look so err anymore. You've seen somebody else's renovated kitchen. You think it's their kitchen. And you go like, my kitchen is no err in it. And what is happening all the time is the more you perceive other people's err, which you don't know the reality, the more dissatisfied you become with your own life. And, and it gets even darker. We don't talk about that. So, so I'll just whisper what we do. We look at other people's lives and the err, and we, we secretly hate their lives because they're living what we want. And, and then we wait for calamity to interrupt their err. All of a sudden, they're in a car accident in their err car. And, and we don't go like, oh, shame. We go like, oh, shame. Good for you. And when their err shipwrecks, we go like, thank God. Now you're normal like me. Because there is something in us that is seeking, seeking validation. And we know that when, whenever we look for the earth, if you play poker, you know there are some cards that are better than other cards, right? You, you just know this. And, and you know, we know that the, the card that overrides the earth is the est card, which, which means if, if I can be the richest, I don't care about richer. If I can be the thinnest, I don't care about thinner. If I can be the smartest, I don't care about smarter. And we begin to chase the est in our lives because if we think we can get the est, we don't care about the er. And, and I can tell you all of those things drive us past the very thing that all we desire is contentment, happiness, peace, joy. And the question is, where is this driving you to? I'm going to tell you. When we live in that tension and we're not careful, we come to a place where we don't like the person we see in the mirror. We don't like who we are. We don't like our existence. We don't like our home. We don't like our car. We don't like our spouse privately anymore in our minds. We don't like our miserable lives. We hate our jobs. It, it drives us because this tension is causing an epidemic in our lives. So I want to tell you just three things, then I'm done. Come on. High five the, five the person next to you and say, we're almost there. You're doing a heck of a job staying with it. I want you to know this. When you compare yourself to anything, you always lose. Get that tattoo somewhere safe. Whenever you compare yourself, you always lose. Because somehow we always compare ourselves with people who have er or ist. We don't sit and look at um, world vision and look at people in the Sahara with no clothes and food and go like, Shh, I'm so beating you. No, we don't do that. Because we're not striving down. We don't want to step. We want to strive more. You, you see, this is what Scripture says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 30. And I'm going to invite you to read with me at all of our campuses, Greece, online, extension. Let's read this together. If you see the Scripture behind me, just shout yes. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm going to read this to you because you need it. I know you need this. Here it goes. It goes like this. A tender, tranquil heart will make you healthy, but jealousy 
can make you sick. Come on, let's read it again. A tender, tranquil heart will make you healthy, but jealousy can make you sick. A another translation says jealousy will rot your bones. Because you see, the root of comparison will create a fruit of jealousy, resentment, and, 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 and hate, and destructiveness in our life. It is utterly corrosive, guys. But this is not a new problem. You go like, dang you, Steve Jobs. Why did you do this? And who created the internet? Wasn't Al Gore that he created the internet? <laughs> dang you, Al Gore. Why did you create the internet? <laughs> this is so awesome. I'm glad for the internet. I'm glad for where we are. Because in the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about how can we be a life-giving presence? How can we be a people that are different? How can we live in the tension in a way that is attractive and not destructive for our own hearts? Because there was someone in the Bible that had both the R and the S in such an extreme way. His name was Solomon. When we read about Solomon, the Bible says clearly he was the wisest of everybody on the planet, even the wisest and the wisest men in the East. The Bible says he had riches beyond measure. People would travel from everywhere to come observe his riches. And for all the unmarried guys, he had like 600 concubines and 300 wives. Yeah, have that as a life. You'll be dead in three years. You know what I mean? <laughs> Crazy. He had everything that you can ever imagine. Listen to what he says. He is the only one that I can point ever that arrived at everything you and I think we want. And this is what he says, Ecclesiastes 4, verse 4 and 6. Are you ready to read? Come on, campuses. Let's read together. It says, And I saw that all toil and achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, chasing after the wind. Let's read it one more time because I think I messed it up. And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So you go like, what, did, what does it mean when you chase after the wind? How do you catch the wind? Come on, walk with me. How do you catch the wind? What do you do? You go like, you can't. That's exactly what he is saying. He's saying there is no way that any one of us will arrive at a place where our pursuit for gain and more and est and er is not going to drive us. So, so it's meaningless, he is saying. And in and, and, and verse 6, he says this, Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. And what he is not saying is stop working and sit on the park bench and just soak in the sun. It's not what he is saying. But what he is saying is that the tension that we are creating in our own lives, and for some of it, it is so unbearable, 
You know more about the lives of other people than your own. And now you want to be in the game. And you, you, you bake brownies. And, and it takes you three hours to find the right thing. And, and then you take it. And now you've got to download $900 of effects and apps to, to, to put the right filters on it. So that when people look at your brownies, they go like, oh my God, you're a genius. I don't do that. I just Google the image and post it. <laughs> Why care? It's simpler that way. Let somebody else do the work. Come on, high five somebody. Go like, that's the way to stop, man. I'm gonna go put things on there. Give it to the people who can. I just steal their picture and post it and go like, love my life. No, I don't. But it's damaging. And here is the thing that gets put on it that has got socialists and psychologists vibrating in studying the damage of this next thing. And it's three buttons. And we all know what it looks like. You like my pictures? You have, <laughs> thank you. You have comments. And how many people is following me? You know that you are playing the game when you don't really like people's pictures, but you're liking the heck out of it because the game is, if I like yours, you better like mine. Otherwise, I'll just mute the heck out of you. Because liking is a sense of validating worth. Listen to how potent this is. When we are reliant on others for our sense of self, only feeling good if we get positive feedback or markers of status, we're at great risk internally. The question is, what is my point of reference to believe that I'm worthy? What is your point of reference to believe that you're accepted? What is your point of reference to make peace with who you are and go like, I'm beautifully, marvelously made and I don't care what you think about me because the God who made me loves me and knows me. What is your point of reference? Because that is what we're going to be swimming through for the next two weeks. So I'm going to save you a seat and you've got to come because we, we've got to find a way to anchor ourselves different, to live in the tension of this different because you you see, this is not going to go away. It is only going to get more potent and more strained. So here is my final scripture. Musicians, you guys can get ready. Thank you, Dan. Thank you so much um, for being here um, behind me holding that stretchy thing. So here is the question. What is the antidote to this obsessive, Comparison disorder. It's a simple word and we don't like it. It's called contentment. Contentment. What is contentment? It is a deep-seated resting that what I have today, who I am today, is enough for today. That there is a God in heaven that loves me, that knows me, that cares for me, and he's a God of overflowing goodness. And what I need for tomorrow, God will provide in my tomorrows. But who I am and what I have 
is more than enough for what I need to be happy in life. Contentment is an elusive thing because contentment can only be found in the present. And being present is being mindful to be in the moment. I've got to confess. If you ever had to ask my wife, what do you hate most about your husband? She will tell you he's around, but he's never present. He's always in the past, always always in the future, chasing something. But he hardly hears what we're saying. So I know that. And I have bought three books. In the same, same chapter, same, same book. I don't know why I bought three. I forgot I got the other two. It, it, it is mindfulness for eight personalities. I've read some of it because it irritates me. I go like, oh, shut up. Go for a walk and look for beauty. I've got a darn dog that weighs 700 pounds. He's going to drag me under the truck. What do you mean, look for beauty? I'm going to teach this dog to, you know what I mean? Uh, yes, uh, there's this thing on the inside of you. And, and when you say to me at the end of the day, are you happy? I go like, tomorrow I'm going to be so happy when this dog will. Yeah. And the question is this. When you look at your life, when are you ever going to say, I lived my best days? Because the fact of the matter is, today can be your best day. Because God wants us to be present and free from the tension of destruction, not free from the tension that will always be with us. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I'm closing with this. I'll read this to you. How's that? Now he's talking about riches. And he's talking about money. But I think it's a little bit wider than that. Because I think what we are seeking is gain, not money. He says this. 1 Timothy 6, 6. This is ironic. Because godliness, along with contentment, does put us ahead. But not, the same, but not in the way some imagine. I, I heard somebody say one, t one time, good guys always end up lost. And I go like, have you ever considered that good guys run a different race? Right. He says this, you see, we came into this world with nothing and nothing is going with us on the way out. So as long as we are clothed and fed, we should be happy. But those who chase riches, or I'm going to say those who chase gain, are constantly falling into temptations and snares. They are regularly caught by their own stupid and harmful desires. Oh, tell us exactly how you feel. Dragged down and pulled under into ruin and destruction for the love of money. And I'm going to say the love of constant gain, of popularity, things, stuff. And what you can buy is the root of all sorts of evil. Some already have wandered away from the true faith because they have craved what it had to offer. But when reaching for the prize, they found their hands and hearts pierced with many arrows. Beautiful people. Greece campus, Tyler campus, life center. I know we are all sitting here and for some of us, we, we just matrix through this because... 
you've got so many followers and it's your life and it's what you do and it's your hobby and it's everything. But in the midst of this, the question is, is it well with your soul? Are you living in contentment? Are you living in the sense of being satisfied in the goodness of God, being present in today, knowing that worrying about tomorrow is not going to make any difference to your tomorrow, that God is a God that says, I can care of this care for the swallows, I can care for you, is that who you are is enough. And if anything needs to change, the faithful God will be there in your tomorrows to kindness and grace begin to shape your life that, that what God has for you is beautiful, but stop chasing and stop comparing because you are a phenom, you're a masterpiece, you're one of a kind, and what you have is enough for today. And that may be as we speak next week about how do I engage online. Oh man, I'm gonna tell you some things that's really gonna challenge all of us, that yes, we're gonna engage online and social media, but in a different way, and know what are the healthy measures to that. Can I ask our campuses, everybody, to just bow their heads and close their eyes. Father, it's in this moment that I pray that your grace, your mercy, your love and faithful promise will carry us and carry us through. Jesus, today we declare that we are enough and you have blessed us. Even in areas where we feel we struggle and we have lack, lack you are the God that supply. But free us from the entrapment of feeling less or measured or our value is determined by other people's opinions. Please, Jesus, rescue us from the toxicity of a very pervasive culture. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I want to just speak to those at our campuses and those who are joining us online. You know, Jesus came, and the primary reason He came was to reconcile the heart of man to the heart of the Father. The word reconcile is a big word. It simply means to bring back into harmony, to bring back into relationship. The heart of man and the heart of God. He had to die to do that. Because there's no other way we can come to God unless Jesus took on our guilt, paid for us, so we can be free. Our harmony is disturbed through many things. Sometimes it's intentional. You walk away from God. Sometimes you simply just get so busy that you forget about God. Sometimes you have an historic understanding about God, but you've never really met Jesus to where it's impacted your life. And the Bible says, strangely enough, that you and I cannot respond to God unless the Holy Spirit stirs us. And today I want to create an invitation. I'm not going to ask that you come to the front because this moment is between you and Jesus. And he says this, if you hear my voice calling you, you say, what does that mean? Is when you know that right now God is speaking to you, butterflies are flying, you go like, oh God, I know that's me been living this independent, self-sufficient life. I'm attending church, but I, when church is done, I'm not in harmony with you. 
in about 30 seconds, I'm going to invite you to surrender your life and say yes to harmony in your relationship with God. If that's you, I'm simply going to ask when I ask that you quickly raise your right hand and hold it up just for five seconds so I know who I'm praying for. Pastor Luke is going to be at the Greece campus. We're going to be at Life Center. Those who are joining us online can simply click the respond button. So Holy Spirit, I pray that those who need to hear will hear your call in this moment and not harden their hearts. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you say, Pastor P, that's me. I need a harmonious reconnection with a God that loves me so deep. Would you just raise your right hand so I can see who I'm praying for? Hands are going up everywhere. See, hands are up. Hands, hands. Just keep that hand up so I can see who you are. Oh, I'm so proud of you for being bold to say, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. Now, Greece Campus, online, you can drop your hand and I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. I prayed this prayer when I was 13 years old and it changed my life. It's not the magic of the prayer. It's your heart believing that God hears when you pray. And I'm going to encourage you to whisper this prayer loud enough that you can hear. And church family, I'm going to invite you to pray this with us so that this room is filled with a confident hope that our God hears and He's a promise keeper. Just say, Lord Jesus, I hear your calling. And today I surrender my heart. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Make alive what is dead. Bring home what is lost. And just encompass me with your grace. You said if I call upon your name, you will hear, you will forgive, and make me your child. So today, Jesus, this is me calling. Thank you that you are a forgiving God. And I believe my life will never be the same again because you're a promise keeper. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In the name of Jesus, amen. Come on, can we just celebrate for those who prayed this prayer? Listen, at our campuses, we have a beautiful gift that we want to give you if you've prayed this prayer after service. Charlie Campus is going to be under the cross on my left-hand side, and Greece Campus is going to be right in the front. So when other people leave, would you just swing over? Um, I'm going to be over there myself to give this to you because there is a next step of faith we're going to take. I'm going to ask that you remain seated at our campuses. I need two more, of your, two more minutes of your time, and then we're going to dismiss the service and get out there and just have a wonderful time. I'm going to ask uh, Marlise and Pastor Chris and Tanya, and I've asked Jim Farwell to join me, and, and our Chai Lai staff that are here to, to join me on stage. Um, there is a beautiful um, joy for us. You know, uh, for the last um, 18 years, for those who join us in our 14 they pray, we as a church always pray, God, that you would put your hand on our sons and daughters and that you would send our sons and daughters into the mission field 
that you would populate pulpits through our sons and daughters and God invest people to the house and we invest in them and they invest in us and then the time comes sometimes when God reassigns their lives and we've been going through a reassignment and in that moment for us as, as those who've invested and been invested in through the perspective of heaven we always understand that God is sending us a new group of young pioneers that we're going to be investing in and God is sending those who've matured in their gift and in their faith to become uh, uh, pillars and fathers and mothers at the next assignment for what God has and so today we are here to bless and release Pastor Chris and Tanya Farwell since May of this year he and I have been sitting down and he said to me Pastor P I'm feeling that God has got a shift for my life and I'm like Let's walk slow through this because Chris um, was 19 years old when he and I sat in Perkins. He was the first guy I ever hired in my entire life. And, and so there was a deep investment of love and of, of, of journey. And, but there was a grace that God brought to the conversation where as a dad, you know that part of raising sons is to raise them, not to stay in your basement forever, but to be strong in God and to go do great things for God and His kingdom. So today we are filled with joy. We are filled with peace because we are not losing. We are gaining by sending. And we are so excited for this. Mashi, anything you want um, to share? I just, I think I just want to look at Chris and Tanya, uh, just in the presence of this beautiful church family and um, uh, I think as your pastors and your shepherds, uh, it needs to be said that we are grateful that you entrusted your hearts to us to shepherd you for 17 years. It's no big. It's a big deal. It's not a. It's not an easy matter, um, and we've taken it serious, and we are grateful that we've been able to uh, partner with you and see this incredible growth in you, and as a church family. Uh, we celebrate you today and your children and um, just the deep footprints that you have left in this vision that will never go away. Um, and change is hard and seasons are um, the one thing that are, is constant. And uh, this, is a, this is a good season. But as your friends, uh, we look forward to many chapters still to come. And uh, deeply grateful, deeply, deeply grateful to both of you. Love you so much. Would you hand the mic to Chris and just let him just share a moment of his heart with us as a congregation? So I asked permission to write this down just so I could keep it together as I read it. But I wrote down, for 17 years I've had the unique opportunity to be on staff at the Father's house. What makes this so unique is that in 1996, I was baptized in this church as a teenager. My children have grown up in this church, and I can confidently say that Pastor Pierre and Pastor Marlise have been present for every peak and valley. Uh, you can imagine that my choice to resign has come with much prayer, searching the scriptures, a tremendous amount of godly counsel. Although I'll no longer be on staff at the Father's house, as my family and I are pursuing our next step, 
we're excited that we'll begin to attend the Greece campus. And I need to thank Pastor Pierre, Pastor Marlies, for the immeasurable love and grace that has been extended towards me over the years. Many of my closest friends and richest life memories have been experienced as a result of my time on staff at TFH. My family and I are committed to the call of Christ and making good on the investment that has been poured into us with tremendous gratitude, my family. So what I'm going to ask that you do at our campuses, and I know if this is your first time you're at the Father's house, you go like, that feels weird. You don't have to do it. But it's just a tactile way to bless somebody because Scripture says, bless when you come in and bless when you go out. Would you just stretch out your hands to Pastor Chris and, and Tanya in this season of the next of God for their lives? And would you just begin to pray for them? Would you whisper a prayer of blessing? Father, I thank you so much for your son and daughter and the grace that you have over their lives. Thank you that you're a God, that your picture is complete, even though we see with limited perspective, we know that uh, you've given them the ability to, to hear your voice and follow the footsteps of Jesus. We bless them as a house. They're coming, they're going, they're sitting, they're standing. With all that you have invested in them and they've invested in us, we will celebrate that for investment till the end of time. And Father, the fruit of the harvest through their life will be a fruit that we will celebrate and we will shout, yes, Jesus. So today we bless them. We bless them. We bless them and release them for that which you have. And Jesus, we say thank you for the time that you have given and invested them to bless our lives. May your kingdom come through your son and daughter and their families, Father. And thank you that as a church, we can model a kingdom mindset of knowing that no one lose because God's kingdom is wide and far and ongoing. We love you. We honor you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Can I invite you to stand with us and just honor them? For all these years of investment, Chris, Tanya, thank you from the bottom of our heart. We bless you. We bless you.